This is McKinsey Recruiting, a podcast created to help you learn more about McKinsey and Company. My name is Sydney Streets, and I'm here to answer your questions about McKinsey Recruiting, show you what it's like to work for McKinsey, and explain why when you leave, you're a McKinsey alum, not a former employee. In this episode, we will cover one of the most common topics we are asked about during recruiting, professional development and staffing. Please enjoy my conversation with Sherry Wasser and Ashley Brown, two professional development managers out of our Mid-Atlantic office. Thank you so much for chatting with me today. Um, I am with Ashley Brown and Sherry Wasser as part of the Philadelphia office professional development team. I wanted to give a little bit of an intro on each of you as I understood it, and then you can totally correct me on your creds. So Ashley, you've been with the firm almost six years, right? Yes. So it's been a, been a, like a, a minute. So you started as an associate in the Detroit office, right? That's right. And then you left for a hot second to go to Google, mm-hmm. and now we're back. Yes, and then when leaving to go to Google, I moved to the East Coast. So that's why I'm a part of the Philly office now. Cool. Awesome. And Sherry, you have also been with the firm for a little over six years, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And started as a BA recruiter, Penn, Princeton, Georgetown, yep. right? Yep. And then you moved to the MBA team helping to manage that group and now are also a professional development manager. Yep. So kind of different roles for each of you, different paths to professional development. Completely, yes. So now when you go to, let's say like a cocktail party and someone asks you what you do, what do you tell them? I describe professional development as problem solving around people. Mm -hmm. And part of that is through staffing. Part of that is through helping teams with their overall strategy. Part of that is playing a number of hats within the office, the Mid-Atlantic office, as well as the Philadelphia office in particular, and even at the North American level, stepping into things involving our people processes. And Sherry, when you first meet like a recruit or someone who's just joined the firm and you're having that initial discussion, do you say something similar, anything more like nuanced? No, completely. I mean, basically our full job is to help people think through what are the best next opportunities for them. So I think what I tell them is that it's such a great support system for when you first join because you have someone whose full-time job is to really kind of think through and problem solve with you. Um, it's a bit like Ashley was saying and you were saying before, what I tell my friends is that we're basically like guidance counselors yeah. for adults <laughs> rather yes. than in a school. Uh-huh. Um, so yeah, it's it's pretty much just being a problem solver for someone, someone to just have an ear listening to them. Sometimes like just someone to bounce ideas around with. So you're you're solving problems throughout the day and really just being an ear to listen to people too. Yeah, it's definitely part matchmaker, part life coach, part therapist, uh, depending on the moment in the day. So one way, at least from recruiting, where we define professional development for an individual consultant and like how they're staffed, we talk about it as like an office-driven staffing model Mm -hmm. that focuses on skill building, mentorship, balance. What do you guys make of that? How do we translate that? I think the best way to put it is we know our people who are part of specifically Mid-Atlantic. And when people first join, first and foremost, what we try to solve for is to have them work with good people. You know, we think that that really kind of sets apart one study from the other, having people who have worked with newer folks before, 
um, are good coaches, are good mentors. So what we try to do is look at the landscape and see who from Mid-Atlantic is leading teams right now and trying to match our new hires up with those folks. So when it comes to office driven, it's really based on who do we know who are fantastic leaders, where are they sitting, and let's match up people that they could kind of, you know, get that mentorship and coaching from and also have a Mid-Atlantic network when they first join. That's absolutely right. And then to add to that, it doesn't limit opportunities because we do have Mid-Atlantic leadership across practices, across industries, across functions, and even some of our MAO leaders do work local to their city. Some of them do work globally. So even though we're focusing on matching with good coaching and good people, and we know those people most in MAO because those are people that we work with every day, it doesn't mean that the set of opportunities is limited to New Jersey, Philly, and D.C. Mm-hmm. I'm talking to a recruit. Like, how should they be thinking about balancing their interests with the firm needs? How does that happen in a practical sense? Could you give me an example of where you had to help someone make those decisions or kind of navigate that? Sure. So when I talk to people about their interests, I always ask people to tell me their dream study. What is their ideal? And I ask this not just when someone joins the firm, but every single time that they're up for staffing because it can change. And I ask them, what industry would you like to work in? What function would you like to work in? What partners, if you know any or have any, that you would love to continue a relationship with? Where do you want to be geographically? And I ask them, and of course the content, like is there Mm -hmm. a specific subject or interest area where you would like to learn more or explore more? And I'm very honest, like of those five or six things, we'll probably be able to hit about three or four of them at any given staffing opportunity. But I do want to know what their interest is and what their ideal looks like. And then we see how close we can get to that. So every now and then it's spot on. And especially after you've been doing this exercise for staffing opportunity after staffing opportunity, you begin to develop a real deep perspective about who people are and what's important to them. Every now and then you knock it out of the park with the dream study. But I think when you have that candid conversation about what is the suite of things that you would love, having them know that you're very deliberately looking to get as close to that as possible helps to have those conversations about, hey, we're in the right industry, we're working with the right leaders, the content's really cool, but this is an org study and not a strategy study. What do you think about this? Let's mm-hmm. continue the conversation and talk about it. And I think being pretty candid about why you're showing them that opportunity, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I know that this is solving for maybe only two out of the five, yep. but the team is really excited about you because of these three things that you can bring to the table, and then it becomes a real conversation about if that's the right next fit. Because, right, it's the dual mission about people and clients. So I think just being really open and upfront about why we're showing different opportunities to people. How often do you think like a newer consultant um, actually has a sense of real opinion about all of the things that you listed, sort of like industry, um, location, or are sometimes people just kind of open? I think it's a mix. I think it's a mix. Yeah. Uh, I think people will commonly say that they're open, Uh and that's a great mindset to have because when you come into the firm, you want to learn. My first study was on wound care. I couldn't even look at... Yeah, yeah, I couldn't even look at the deck because I'm (laughs) I'm a very, like, squeamish person. It's funny because I have a PhD, so technically I am Dr. Brown, but not a medical doctor in any sense. Yeah. So I couldn't even look through the pages because I was kind of grossed out by the material. But it was 
amazing leadership and amazing team. I learned so much. I actually stayed with them for eight months. As someone who just came to the firm with a PhD in public policy and political science, if you told me I'd be starting in wound care, I would have thought you were crazy. Like I would have thought this is not going to be the right experience for me. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, and it was one of the best experiences that I had. I still am in close contact with some of the leaders on that firm, on that study from, geez, what is that? like seven years ago at this point. I still keep in contact with some of them. And uh, it's an amazing experience. So I think as you begin to learn more about who are the people, who are the personalities, what is what is even some of the content that maybe I didn't think I'd be interested in, but maybe I am. I, mm-hmm. uh, so it begins, you begin to have a clearer picture of what exactly the firm can offer and how does that match up with your your preconceptions were coming in because Mm -hmm. a lot of it doesn't crystallize as real until you're here and until you're living the team room experience. Yeah, I've seen it evolve with the people that I staff. You know, after probably their second or third study, they have a much better idea about like, this is the, these are the people that I want to work with. This is something I don't like to do. Like, please don't show me any more of these opportunities. But it goes from that really kind of broad, like, show me everything. I'm open to having a very clear picture about kind of like, like, what do they want to see more of or less of or get more exposure to? And it can go either way. I've had people with MDs who come to me and say, I have a medical degree. I want to work in healthcare or pharmaceuticals and medical products. I want to do those type of studies. And I have some people come to me and say, hey, I'm a medical doctor. I don't want to do anything at all related to healthcare, at least for a year or two. I've seen that pretty much my whole life. I want to try something different while I have the opportunity. Mm-hmm. So it's also very individual, too, how people express their preferences. That was actually going to be one of my questions. I'm curious about the difference of how different roles are staffed. So, for example, you know, how do you guys think about BAs, any different than associates, any different from... Um, an associate that has a ton of specific work experience, like say in org or something like that, is there anything that they should keep in mind as preparing for the staffing process? Most teams are pretty open to people who are excited about learning, are looking for good opportunities. I I think it's pretty open across the board for what could be a good team member to different teams. I agree. And in fact, when we do tee up people to studies, we have a a great real-time staffing system in the background. I tee up BAs and associates to the same studies if they have the either the content or the McKinsey experience that that makes sense for that for that study. Now, one thing I will say that is a bit different for BAs in particular. Most associates come to the firm and they think, okay, well, I'll be at McKinsey for two years, and then after two years, I'm going to start looking for step up roles as an engagement manager. And then after roughly two years there, then I'll start looking for associate principal roles, etc. For BAs, they have a, a greater variety in terms of the experiences that they have and the opportunities they want to pursue with the firm. So some of them do want to stay on that path and go from business analyst to engagement manager. Some of them want to go to business school or law school or you know get, get a PhD or whatever the case may be. Some of them may want to go to a startup. So I think it's really cool to engage with BAs about what do you want your next steps to look like after McKinsey and how can we get you there? Because for someone who tells me I want to make it to partner as fast as possible, my guidance them may be different from someone who says I just want to do the coolest things possible and then go to a startup that my friend is is doing and I want to jump on there and do really cool things there too so for BAs especially in their second year I start to have 
different conversations with them than I do mm-hmm. with associates. But at the same time, it's still driven by what are your interests, what are your passions, what do you want to do, and how do you want to make your McKinsey experience work for you? One thing I'm curious to hear your guys' perspective is specifically about kind of recruiting and then after folks are actually here. So one thing that we see on campus is that there's a whole bunch of sort of myths and sort of misconceptions about um, once you're here at McKinsey and the staffing process. Sherry, I'm curious to hear your perspective. You know, there's one thing that the folks say on campus or questions that you get from students. Do you see them still have those questions once they're at the firm or anything that you feel like is worth clarifying? If you could get to someone in front of them and be like, this is how it really is, what would you say? Yeah, completely. I think the office-driven staffing model is quite confusing when you're on campus, when you're trying to think through like, oh, does that mean if I'm in Philadelphia, I am going to be in the tri-state area for the next year? You know, that's not why I want to join a consulting firm, right? I want to see the world. So I think that we pretty much cleared that up at the beginning of this podcast where you can really be anywhere, even if we are leveraging our local office people to staff you with. So I think that that's a very big misconception on campus. Also that, you know, life changes pretty quickly. It can even change one study to the other. And that it's a very, very fluid staffing market where we're checking in with you in between each project to say like, what's important to you now? You know, and we're able to make those pivots really, really quickly. So a lot of misconceptions that I used to get on campus was, you know, if I'm coming in as this ops person, is that what I'm going to be during my career at McKinsey? And what I've realized through staffing is it is choose your own adventure at every point, right? There are no, this is what I'm going to be when I'm there. That can change overnight. So those are two misconceptions that I see pretty quickly. Another one is, well, why can't you guarantee what my first project will be or my second project or who my mentor will be. What we've seen what I've seen is that because it's a true marketplace in staffing, we don't really know what's going to be available in six weeks to a year and sometimes not even two weeks out. Mm-hmm. So we're really trying to make the best decisions given where we are at that point. So it's really hard for us to kind of make any commitments beforehand, but I can guarantee we're trying to solve daily for what's the best for each person. And I guess the other one that I hear a lot is I'll join McKinsey, they'll have an engagement that they need someone on in some far away country and they'll send me there whether I want it or not. That's the other one. So I think equally as important to what we ask people what they want to do, we also ask them what don't you want to do? Absolutely. So if someone comes to us and says, I'm solving for something pretty local when I first start. I mean, local could be like a quick plane ride or a train ride. We'll try our hardest to match that. If someone says, I don't want to be crossing the country for my first six months, that's a pretty easy thing to solve for as well with the variety of work that we have that's pretty local. So we try to solve equally as important for what people really don't want to do during that time of their life. Absolutely. And that goes for industries that people don't want to work in as well. Uh, so, So we look for geographical deal breakers, if you will, as well as industry deal breakers too. The, the one of the, the, the most interesting and most intimidating things about the firm is that you don't have a boss. So you don't have someone that you're reporting to. You don't have someone telling you what to do uh, at a certain point and what to do next. And it can be intimidating to think about how the heck am I going to find my group and my people. So we have development group leaders or DGLs. And they are another person, in addition to professional development, 
who helps a person navigate the firm. So the role that they play most pivotally comes around review times. We have reviews twice a year, and people check in with their DGLs about the studies that they've done. The DGLs talk to teams. There's this really great day where all of the DGLs come together and we talk about our people, and then uh, we provide really detailed feedback about what they're doing well, what they could be doing better, and where we see them in their trajectory. But the DGL is also there to play a between-review sort of guiding role, in a sense, helping to connect people to other parts of the firm, helping to to really make sure people are treated uh, on their studies in a way that really helps them grow in a, a meaningful way. Yeah, I always thought about the DGL as your academic advisor. So they're the person that's helping you to analyze and like codify the feedback that you're getting to figure out like, okay, so that was what my last study was at. How should I think about this one? Like they want you to succeed, but it's like about helping you navigate the system. Absolutely. And also using their network. I mean, one of the great sources about DGLs is that they are usually here for a great deal of time and they know who to introduce you to to actually make those meaningful connections. So it's actually like a source of connection for you at the firm as well. Right. So then if you're, they're hearing you're considering these two studies, this is one of the EMs, like, exactly. oh, that person, you'd really enjoy working yeah. with them. This exactly. seems like a good fit for you. Exactly. And we problem solve with DGLs a lot as well, you know, just about specific people that we we both understand those people pretty well. So it's a great opportunity for other for us to go to DGLs as well to, to chat about our folks. When you guys are first working with a new consultant, what are some of the ways you kind of set up your relationship with them? Or what are some of those questions that you guys talk about? I think Ashley mentioned before about how we try to figure out what they're first and foremost solving for. And what is, why did they join McKinsey, right? Like, why is this, they probably had a lot of options, right? Why did they accept our offer? So what motivates them? What gets them excited? What are they passionate about? And then we go more into the tactical. Is there anyone that you met during recruiting that you'd be excited to work with, right? Are there any connections that you have here already? Are there any skill sets that you really want to use during your first six months here? Are there any development opportunities that you're looking for? After that, we then let them know kind of like what staffing actually looks like. Like a lot of times, it's actually a black box, even when you first join here, about like, what does this whole process actually look like? Like, are you, Sydney mentioned before, going to place me in India, you know, for this next six months when I want to be close to New York? So what we do is we walk them through what the staffing process actually looks like. We chat to them about, I am going to share opportunities with you that I think might make sense based on the conversations that we've had. You will then talk to those teams about those opportunities. We'll then connect again and debrief about, do we think that this is a good option for you? And if it is, if it's kind of mutually a fit, I will staff you to that opportunity for a given point of time. So there's nothing really that you need to do outside of just kind of responding to my emails and checking in with teams and having conversations. There are some people who really enjoy the networking component and they Mm -hmm. have made relationships during the recruiting process. So a lot of times I'll say to them, like, feel free to reach out to the people that you've met already if you want to be a little bit more proactive in your first staffing opportunity. But by no means, you know, is that an advantage in, in getting to, you know, a great opportunity. We then probably two weeks before the time that your stud- your first study is supposed to wrap up, proactively reach out to you again to get feedback about how the opportunity went, 
we're already sourcing other opportunities for you, and we're kind of doing that whole exercise again. So it is pretty clear when you first join and once you have that conversation what the first probably six months will look like. And then a lot of that changes based on kind of you being more proactive with the people that you want to work with and the opportunities that you want to proactively reach out to. Does everyone sigh like a big sigh of relief after having that initial conversation? I think so. I think so. I'm hoping so. <laughs> I hope so. I think some people are probably still a little nervous until they get the the first, like, this is your team, this is where you'll be staffed. This Here's is... where you're flying. Exactly. Because, yeah. I mean, that is, it's it's their life. And that, that's something else that I like to talk to people about are, you know, what are the other aspects of your life that I should know? And McKinsey is not a nine to five by any means. You don't show up, go to an office at nine o'clock, work there till five, go back home. I mean, you're in a different location. You're on a plane or a train or in a car. You are, you know, oftentimes staying the night away from home. So I do try to ask people, who are they? Like, what do they enjoy? Who and what is important to them? And it can range. I had one BA who ran a Bible study group at her house on Thursday evenings. So it was really important for her, even though at the time she didn't have a significant other or a dog or anything like in that realm, she had a Bible study group. That was a very core commitment for her in her life. And that's why she needed to be home at Thursday at a certain time. I had an associate whose husband was in med school in Boston. So she at first told me I would like to travel. But then it became clear, hey, if there are any studies in Boston, I would love that for this reason. I had another associate who joined the firm and then eight weeks later kind of frantically called me and said, oh my goodness, I just found out I was pregnant. Didn't think it would happen this quickly into my time at McKinsey. Let's talk about this. So I love to know as life is happening for people because we have a lot of control in how we can make McKinsey work for you. It really is to choose your own adventure. And if there are reasons where you need to be in a certain city or you need to be doing a certain type of study or you need to be back home at a certain time, I like to know about those things because whatever we can do to help make their life easier makes me happy. You know, it's like the goal isn't just to plug you into a team with an open need. There's so many open needs. There's such a breadth of activities that you can do at the firm. There's so many different types of studies. If there's a study that can fit another component of who you are, then that's that's even that much more of a win. I also think one good thing that our role is for is to remind people what they're solving for. Sometimes you have those initial conversations and someone might say to you, I'm solving for a travel study because of this, and I'm solving to sharpen my analytical skills. And then they have all of these conversations and they come back to you and say, you know, I'm really excited about this opportunity that is local, that has no analytics. Sometimes it's a good (laughs) reminder to them about like, well, let's revisit what we talked about a week ago. Has anything changed? So I think it's good to have someone who's like consistently with you, who's remembering the stories and, you know, kind of like is your cheerleader too to making sure that you're being true to yourself. Because sometimes it's like, the lights that people like you are are very attractive, but we're here to kind of ground you into what's really important for you as well. Absolutely. And we're also there, along with the DGL, to keep a long-term perspective of where you started and where you want to go and how to get there. And if things shift along the way, then great, and we can help kind of absorb some of that impact and help open new doors and create new opportunities. But at the same time, we do keep that, you know, overall record of how your firm experience has been so we can have those conversations from from that perspective as well that's awesome 
So one question I think we get from candidates is sometimes about the balance between working with a professional development manager and staffing themselves. Can you guys talk a little bit more about, you know, how long am I working with a PDM? Do I work with them my entire career? How does that work? Yes. So you work with a PD manager throughout your entire career at the firm. The relationship that you will have with the PD manager will change over time. So I remember when I first joined the firm as an associate, I thought, I'll know that I'm successful when I can staff myself. And that's a very common misconception that people have is that, you know, at some point you won't need your PD manager anymore, and the less you talk to them, the better. Uh, In reality, what happens is that your PD manager goes from being a very directive person saying, this is a great team, this is a great study, you will go here for your first study, to, hey, let's think about the types of roles you're considering, let's think about your network, let's think about how you are going to begin exploring opportunities for yourself while in tandem, I'm working in the background on staffing too, and then we put our heads together. For some people, that conversation then shifts very quickly to they have their group of people they're working with, they have their industry and practice they're focused on, and then they just kind of fly, and then and there are very few there are very few check-ins with PD. For other people, maybe they're flying, but it's in a direction they don't want to go in, and so they have a lot of sponsors and mentors who are excited to create opportunities for them, but they really need PD and or their DGL to intervene because they're interested in another area or another industry and another function, and they want insight into what that looks like. So long answer to a short question, but. You never totally get away from PD. We do play a role in your career from the moment that you join, even before you join in some circumstances, to the time when you're a senior partner. Nice. Um, This was super helpful, guys. I appreciate you taking the time out and to give us a little bit more about staffing and your roles as professional development managers. Ashley, Sherry, thank you so much. This was incredibly helpful. Thank you. Thank you. To learn more about professional development, how to apply, and tons of other information, check out mckinsey.com careers.